Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Pragmatic Marketing and your host. Today, we are joined by Bertrand Hazard, VP of Marketing for Trust Radius. Hello, Bertrand, and thank you for joining us today. Hello, Rebecca, and thanks for having me today. Now, Bertrand, you and I are both VPs of marketing, and one thing I am certain that we have both struggled with in our career, and I'm sure our listeners have too, is the alignment between sales and marketing. Far too often, these two departments are more like Athens and Sparta uh, than the key partners that they really have to be to succeed. But it's so critical that they are aligned. So that's what I really want to dig into with you today. Well, and I'm excited to talk about that because sales and marketing alignment is definitely a topic which is dear to my heart. So um, we should have a fun conversation today. Excellent. All right. So digging right in, from your experience, what kind of companies struggle with the sales and marketing alignment? Well, before I answer your question, Rebecca, I think it's it's important for people to understand that nobody wakes up in the morning thinking, oh, we have a sales and marketing alignment issue or, hey, we have a sales enablement problem. Now, you can usually tell that there is a problem when at the end of the month or at the end of the quarter, the internal blaming game, and I'm sure you've experienced that, I have experienced that, starts if sales miss their bookings or revenue goals. And usually that's pretty ugly because it usually starts at the executive CEO level. And depending on your executives, uh, it tends to be pushed down. Now, uh, another way to tell uh, before you wait for someone to come down or you get this email saying, we need to get urgently in a meeting because we have a problem. Uh, another way to tell is usually by asking marketers how much time they are spending with sales or ask sales if they have all their need from marketing. And uh, if you start to hear things like, well, you know, they are in sales, we are in marketing or marketing don't get what we want, we just ignore them, then you know you have a problem. Um, and one of the, I would say, you know, to our audience, one of the things that I would recommend them to do tomorrow is to do exactly that and go into their own organizations. And I can guarantee that they will find some bucket of resistance on either side of the field, which personally, I think is one of the main reasons why we had this misalignment uh, in the first place is because marketing and salespeople don't talk enough to each other. So, you know, with that said, and trying to answer your question, I personally don't think that certain companies are more prompt than others to struggle with sales and marketing alignment. Uh, I've seen some very small companies where sales and marketing are extremely disconnected, and I've seen some large companies where there is a much better alignment. I think it's a universal problem. Uh, ultimately, this is individuals, human beings dealing with each other, and we know that it can be difficult. Uh, and also the other thing which is, I think is important to understand is that just because you might be aligned today does not mean that you're not going to face some of these misalignment issues in the future. Uh, personally, I think it's only going to uh, be more and more of an acute problem because of the world we live in, because of the fact that the buyer's journey has changed, because of the fact that customers uh, are much more demanding. So what's happening is that you have a lot of organizations that are really rethinking about how they need to adjust. It creates more pressures. But because I like to be a, a positive guy uh, and look at the bright side of the uh, or the 
sorry. Uh, and, and because I'm a, a pretty positive guy and I, look, I like to look at the full side of the half-empty glass, I actually think that these changes happening are a great opportunities for marketers and their sales counterpart to work together. Yeah, and I think you made a great point too that just because your relationship may be great now doesn't mean it will always be in, in terms of alignment because I do think it is just like any good relationship. It takes continuous fostering, right? You don't woo your spouse and get married and then stop and just be like, well, obviously we're aligned, right? It takes ongoing touch points and regular communications and the ability to kind of shift with each other as you both go through things. And I think that's a really important part of, of the alignment. Exactly. All right. So now uh, we know it's important to align, but what are some of the top areas uh, that we should really focus on making sure are aligned within the sales and marketing groups? Well, I, I, I think of three different areas, right? I mean, the first one, and I think it's a challenge for lots of marketing and sales organizations, but there's usually not a common viewpoint on what both organizations should be aligned. That sounds crazy what I'm saying, but the truth is like, that's typically not the case. Um, marketers tend, tend, tend to think about, you know, driving leads, sales guys tend to think about closing deals, but they're not thinking at it as in a, in a very coordinated way. Personally, I think that the only way for both marketing and sales to be aligned is to start with the end in mind, which is the buyer and what is required to attract new prospects, to move them along the sales funnel and convert, convert them into customers. Uh, that's definitely the first alignment that needs to happen. If you don't have alignment around the definition, you're just going to fail. Now, the second uh, area of alignment, which I think is really critical, uh, is alignment around the goals and metrics that honestly should be jointly shared by marketing and sales teams. I mean, just do a test and ask within, you know, look at your organizations and say, are we fully aligned around the same goals? Are we are really aligned around the same metrics? Uh, the days where marketing's sole job and honestly metric was to generate leads, these days are gone. And surprisingly, there's still a lot of companies where marketing organizations are uh, incentivized and honestly measured based on leads. But for marketing and sales to be aligned, measuring marketing on things like pipeline creations and booking contribution is really critical. Uh, and I think that as we move into even more account-based type selling model, looking at things in terms of size of customer wallet are going to be another great metric that will kind of like, you know, rise because ultimately this is the type of metric that sales and marketing can be aligned around. So ultimately, what are the metrics you might pick? They should be picked through the, what I call the revenue generation and also the sales cycles lenses. And again, the benefit of doing that is that if you are at the CEO or at the executive team level, that's really how these guys are looking at you know, sales and marketing and honestly, how they're justifying investments in marketing. So alignment around definition, alignment around goals and metrics. And then the third one, which I get pretty passionate as well, is alignment around content. I know content, we talk a lot about content, but at the end of the day, content is the fuel to the marketing and sales engine. And this is the area where I'm always puzzled, where you see so many organizations where you have marketing working on one side, doing their own content development for their top of the funnel campaigns. And you've got sales on the other sides who are working and creating their own content to close deals. Now, the worst part, and I've read that study and I read that uh, that data a couple of weeks ago is that when content is created for sales, 
usually by marketing teams or product marketing team, the vast majority, as far as 90%, which sounds crazy, go unused. 90%? 90%. No, that's I read depressing. That. <laughs> well, it, it, it is depressing, but it's because, again, sales and marketers are not necessarily talking to each other, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, let's again, let's do, I love to tell people, well, just go and do a test. I mean, when was the last time you sat down with sales or you invited salespeople to a content planning session? right? Mm -hmm. Most people will tell you, well, we don't. I mean, yeah, we kind of ask them and, but you know, really they don't have good ideas. Uh, Whereas I take it as, no, this is an opportunity for you to sit down and understand about the type of content that, you know, is required around the the, the buying journey. Uh, And and, and it goes with, you know, you were talking about relationship, but it, it goes with the fact that you still have too many marketers who have really uh, not the right level of respect and trust in their sales counterpart and vice versa. I mean, I I love to give that example where a few years ago I was working for an enterprise architecture software company and uh, an inside sales rep, you know, during one of our conversations suggested that we create an A3 size poster, which was representing all the uh, questions that our software could answer. And uh, what he wanted to do is send this prospect to his prospects, you know, that poster uh, with the logo of the prospect in the middle. So, you know, we did listen to him, which we could have just ignored, but we did listen to him. We, because we're marketing people, we love to rebrand things. So we called it the mind map because it sounded like a much more exciting name. <laughs> uh, but the reality is like it, it became within a few weeks, the number one content asset to drive leads, but also to support their sales engagement. Uh, and the funny story I like to say is that, you know, because we were, it was printed in a, an A3 size, uh, we actually, you know, send it to prospects, prospect would open it up and uh, actually would engage with us at a much higher rate. That was uh, what you would call account-based marketing before ABM was even, was even a buzzword. But my, my real point here is that, you know, your salespeople should be involved in your content planning sessions and also content review session. And just don't assume because they're in sales, they can't think. Mm, very good point. That, that, that's really the alignment, you know, if, if only people could align around definition, could align around metrics and content, I think you would be, you know, so far, uh, so far ahead from the rest of the pack. Now, for marketing people and product marketing people, that just doesn't stop there because, you know, our job is not just to get like someone from a lead to uh, a close to one deal. I mean, it's really important also for marketers to and product marketers to align with all the customer-facing teams, uh, including customer success and and uh, ultimately also customer support, because our job is really across the entire customer lifecycle. But anyway, for today's conversations, uh, just beginning by aligning with sales will get you so much further ahead, and most importantly, will make it that. As a company, you're going to basically bring people through your funnel and get them across your funnel at a much higher rate, which means you're going to basically reduce sales cycles and, and be, uh, you know, ultimately be able to demonstrate results. Excellent. So one of the things we talked about was content. And one of the things about content that's so important, I think, is that we've it supports the new shift in the buying process, right? Today, they say north of 80% of the purchasing decision is made before a buyer ever reaches out to you. So in that kind of environment, why is this alignment, do you think, even more important? Well, I think to your point, you know, buyers have changed. And, you know, let's, let's before we even think about B2B buyers, let's think about ourselves. 
I mean, I'm sure, Rebecca, you know, the last time that you decided to go on vacation, and I believe you went on vacation very recently, you probably went on TripAdvisor, you probably looked at places and hotels that you wanted to, to go, you probably asked people around you. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll do that. I, I celebrated my wedding anniversary about a week ago. And what did I do? I asked people around me what was the great restaurants where I could take my wife. I was surprised. And I told her that, you know, my wife loves very romantic, small, casual environment, but also high end food. And uh, I was given uh, a reference. I went there. I loved it. And since then, I've been telling 10 other people that they should go there. So the point is that, you know, consumers, as consumers, we've been used to uh, our behavior has really changed because of search engines and access to customer reviews. And the same phenomena is happening in B2B. You're mentioning 80%. There's lots of different studies out there. But the story and the net net of that is that B2B buyers are much more educated. They're much more empowered. They start doing research more independently online, and they're looking for the opinions of their peers ahead of vendors and even analysts. Uh, and that's tough. And the reason it's tough because traditionally, and I remember writing an article about a year and a half ago, I think, in Pragmatic Marketing, your, uh, your, your publication, uh, traditionally, B2B marketers you know, we, we've loved to control the flow of information to prospects. I and mean, we love to design very carefully crafted value propositions and very highly produced marketing communications. That was what I've been doing for 15 years before Trust Radius. I worked at the various software companies uh, and I've, uh, I've been in marketing and product marketing roles. And, and we were very much happy to be in control. And then on the other side, you had sales people that, you know, once marketing were generating leads, they would pass them the lead and then they would take their leads, turn them into opportunities through a very uh, controlled, again, standardized message, but also a very well-defined selling process. It was very linear. The problem is when you have 78% of your B2B buyers who begin an evaluation with a web search and 60% of them are searching for peer reviews, that traditional historical model is no longer working. So what the vendors need to do is really to focus on enabling that new process. They need to understand that new process, what, what it is for, for them. Uh, and they need to be able to establish trust with prospects very early on because the truth is like, you know, most people will make a decisions on which vendors they want to research for potentially uh, using their tools to enable the problems that they are trying to solve. Uh, but they will have identified the vendors before even engaging with the vendors. And so that's where, because it's no longer linear, because you're dealing with a vendor who wants to be, uh, you're dealing with buyers who wants to be much more in control, it's important more than ever for sales and marketing to be aligned. Do you have any great examples that you can share? Well, I, I think, you know, let's think about, and again, I'm, maybe because we're talking about everything starts with a buyer in mind, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you think about from a, a top of the funnel all the way down, but at the top of the funnel, again, uh, and I've been in these organizations and, and I was, you know, on, on the side of marketing at the time, but historically, when you were asking marketing, they were, we were asked to generate leads. And once these new leads were in the systems, you know, they would be passed to sales. But the, the reality is in today's world, that's not the case. At the top of the funnel, both marketing and sales are engaged in uh, reaching out to prospects. Marketers do it through content leadership. Uh, they do it through running influencer program. They do it by enabling their customers to speak on their behalf and so on. But sales is not sitting on their seat waiting in the office for a lead to come in. 
they might get some leads. That's the whole inbound strategy. But more and more, they're also targeting specific accounts and going and reaching out to people that they really want to try to sell to. And they're using social selling techniques. So what does it mean? It means that now both sales and marketing people are engaged at the same time with prospective buyers. So it's important that from a buyer's perspective, right, it's important that from a buyer perspective, all the activities are coordinated and not coming across as disjointed. I don't know for you, Rebecca, but one of the things that still frustrates the hell out of me when I'm calling, let's say, my favorite cable company is that <laughs> I have a problem. And then I'm being told, well, we can't fix the problem. You need to call another person. And I'm like, why can't you just transfer me internally? And from a user experience, it's bad. Uh, and so it's exactly the same thing where here, because of that buyers having changed and being much more, uh, much more independent and empowered, it's important that you know, we as a vendor, we as an organization come across as one company. And honestly, if you do that and you do that effectively, then you're able to start to build that trust and start to be potentially added on the list of or in the short list of vendors that uh, you know, a, a buyer will want to consider. So that's one example, right? And and actually, I'm, 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 I love the concept of account-based selling and account-based marketing for that purpose, not so much because it's new and it's the buzzword of 2016 and, and it will be still for 2017 and then it, it will probably start to fade out and something else will come up. But most importantly, because in the world of account-based marketing, it's a forcing function for marketing and sales to work together in a very coordinated way. So that's, that's what I found very interesting. And uh, that's where I think from a top of the funnel standpoint and looking at account-based marketing, there is, there is a lot to be done there. Now, if we look down the funnel, uh, when you've got the buyers who are actually ready to effectively engage with a vendor, and by that, I mean that they've recognized that a particular vendor might have a solution to solve their problem. What we found, uh, we've recently run a survey across 600 prospective, uh, sof uh, 600 software buyers who purchased the software in the last two years. What we found is that when people are ready to engage with the vendors, they might have been reading stuff from the vendors. They might have even talked a little bit with the sales person. But when they're really at that point of decision, like, okay, I want now to look if that vendor is going to be able to solve my use case. What we found is that people want hands-on experience with the product and they want, again, validations from their peers. So again, from a marketing standpoint and sales standpoint, what's important is really to start to think about, okay, well, how can we maximize the use of demos and trials uh, that we have on our website? How can we make sure that we can tailor that to their needs? Most importantly, how can we throughout that funnel, but from that point forward, make sure that we are sharing and that ideally our existing customers and users are sharing their perspectives, their use cases, so that ultimately you can quickly get your prospective buyer in contact with other users that have sold the same type of needs. Uh, and so again, that's where it's important for marketing and sales to work very closely together and bring, you know, as I like to say, that customer voice into everything they do and specifically around uh, the content that they share uh, with their buyers. So I, I could go on and on with, with examples about, you know, how uh, it has changed and how the buyer's journey is forcing marketing and sales to change. But, but again, the, the key 
takeaway I'm hoping that I can convey is that it's because it's no longer a linear process because the buyers are used to be consumers they are used to have like a very seamless experience what is happening in B2C is already happening in B2B and and brands need to recognize that and and honestly they need to do more in terms of like alignment and more in terms of like the type of content that also they are sharing with their prospective buyers especially when most prospective buyers do not really trust vendor content. So we have talked a lot about the importance of alignment uh, between sales and marketing overall in today's world and with the different sort of buyer experience. So we're totally in, totally bought in, right? Let's say though that I don't have a great relationship right now with sales. So how can I reach across that aisle and sort of gain the respect and buy-in of our sales peers? Well, I'd like to go back to what you said earlier in our conversations about the fact that ultimately it's like a relationship. Um, you know, the first thing that I, I usually say I'll tell marketing people and even salespeople is that you have to trust the other one. You have to treat them as your peers, as partners. Uh, we need to stop focusing on what makes us different. I mean, uh, one analogy that I like to give or one thing I like to say is that, you know, just because women are from Venus and men are from Mars, that doesn't mean that the marriage will never succeed, mm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, it takes a lot of work to, to make a marriage work. And it starts with something which is really important, which is respect. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we still live and it's maybe getting better. But, you know, for a long time, we've been living with this world where, you know, marketers were thinking of salespeople as guys with just like, you know, big cars, you know, beautiful women and, uh, and making money and didn't really have to say or could not really think uh, in any way. And I think that's, uh, that's something which is a cliche. That's something that hopefully has changed. It's, it's a lot of stereotypes, but unfortunately, we're still dealing with that. Um, so that's the first thing is the first thing it's really important. It's the notion of respect. Uh, one advice that I usually like to give marketers is, is actually to go and spend some time shadowing a sales rep or an account executive for a day or two and do that every few months. Uh, I actually force people on my team to do that. Usually the first time they look at me with big eyes and they're like, why would I want to go and do that? Um, but you know, the only way to ultimately be aligned, the only way to gain the respect of the other one is if you actually understand what it takes, you know, for a marketing person, it, it's important to understand what it takes for a salesperson to sell. Uh, selling is much harder than what it looks. Uh, and not only if you go and spend some time with them, it's a great way to gain their respect because they are like, you know, thinking, well, this person is ready to work with us and to listen to what we have to say. But honestly, you're just going to be better at developing the, you know, some really great marketing strategies as a result of that. Um, another tactic that I've used in the past, and uh, that's probably one of the key takeaways I, I hope people will, will take from this podcast, but Another great question to ask salespeople is what's stopping them from selling more? So obviously, because you're in marketing, just be ready. Then one of the first things that you might hear is, well, because we don't get enough leads. All the leads you give us are crap. But the reality is that they usually, if you start to have these conversations with your sales counterpart, they, they are going to start to open up and come up with a list of like 30 things that you know would be really helpful to them. And then the trick 
is to then ask them to prioritize across that list. What are the top five things that, you know, they wish, you know, you could be, uh, could be fixed. And what's very interesting is that usually out of the Five things that, you know, the sales will say, well, I really need this to be able to be successful at, you know, closing more deals. One or two of these requests are actually usually pretty easy to fix. And I've been in cases uh, where, especially when you deal with international sales teams, but I've been in cases where I've helped them to fix some very minor issues that they were facing, which had nothing to do with marketing. But the fact that I spent the time to ask them you know, that question that I spend the time to listen to them and ultimately that I help them to fix one of their problem made me honestly a hero with them. So that's that's one way, you know, one way is to shadow a salesperson. Another way is to really try to ask the sales teams, you know, what's stopping them from selling. It's a great opening question. A, a better way, and I think that we are going to see that more and more in 2017 and 20. 18, but especially at uh, at certain level within the marketing organizations or product marketing, I think every marketing or product marketing person should be carrying a quota and do that for a while. Uh, and and I, and I can tell you by my own experience, um, I've just spent the last year at Trust Radius carrying a quota uh, where I did the prospecting, I did my nurturing, I and I closed some deals. And uh, not only it helped me to gain the respect from you know my my sales VP counterpart, in fact from the executive team, but it, it also helped me to develop a better go-to-market strategy and messaging platform as a result of of doing that. So you know it's it's another way to gain the respect you know from from the sales peers is by basically showing that you're trying to understand their job, showing that you're trying to understand you know uh, and you understand that it's not easy, it's difficult and and also you're going to learn from it. And, and maybe the last thing if you are a, a manager and you have people and you're looking at bringing people on board in marketing, um, you know, one thing I recommend is is looking at people that have have a prior customer facing experience. Uh, and what I mean by that is people that might have been in sales, people that have might have been in customer success. Uh, but anyone who has had to deal with buyers, who has a, or who has had to deal with customers. Uh, is definitely going to understand uh, a little bit more about who they are dealing with, who is ultimately the audience that they are supporting. And by doing that, uh, we'll be uh, better at engaging with their sales counterpart and ultimately uh, devising some some coordinated strategies. So, uh, you know, another example I like to share, but a few years ago when I was working for a systems management vendor, um, I was told one day uh, that, and when I took over the product marketing role in that organizations, I was told that one of the big challenge that we had was uh, there was a line of sight communication issue between sales and marketing. Now, locally, I was close friends with lots of people in sales, and I had identified a sales reps that actually wanted to grow his career in product marketing. So what I did is I actually took him over on my team and then I put him in charge of the communication with sales. And, and the funny story is that from day one to day two, there was no longer a sales alignment or line of sight communication issue between the two departments because the salespeople you know, had a lot of respect for that gentleman and that gentleman now was in charge of making sure the communication was happening. 
So I'm just saying, you know, there's, uh, there's lots of ideas here that I might be sharing, but, you know, treat your sales reps as, as, the, as, as truly your peers, you know, spend some time with them, uh, ask them what's stopping them from selling, potentially go on the road and carry a quota yourself and uh, try to see if you can bring some salespeople into the marketing organizations and vice versa. And I think that as a result of that, uh, companies will be uh, able to bridge that kind of gap that exists between sales and marketing. And I, I think that goes along with a trend that we've certainly seen on our side too, sort of a shift to, to what's been coined revenue marketing, right? Mm-hmm. The idea that that's number one, the the metric, the goal, everything that you should be focused on is marketing is revenue. And that can also mean that a great deal of your compensation is based on that. And it's a more traditional way of thinking in a sales uh, mindset to have that, that variable component. But we've certainly seen that in the industry, there's a big growth towards a larger portion of the marketing uh, compensation being variable because, again, it ties everyone into the same piece. And, and you make a great point, too. It creates some empathy with the sales team that I don't know that if you've not had the benefit of you and I have had of actually carrying quotas in different areas of our careers, you don't see how hard it is, right? Everyone's job is easy unless it's yours, but I I think it definitely helps bring that uh, message home when you tie those things more closely. It is as difficult for a marketing person to sell as it is for a salesperson to come up with that one sentence that will summarize your value proposition that everyone will remember, right? Mm-hmm. It, is, it is, and, and, and you know, again, it's, it's really a case of like, if you better understand me and what I'm doing and the issues that I'm facing on a day-to-day basis, which there's nothing better than doing the job yourself for a little while, you don't have to do it like for a long time, mm-hmm. you will feel the pain and then your conversations will dramatically change. I mean, I might be different from most of my marketing counterparts where personally I describe myself as a sales guy who fell in love with marketing when I was, you know, early on in my career. Uh, so I, I personally don't see a gap or I, I've always refused the gap mm-hmm. because day one because I'm like, that's all, you know, that's all wrong to to think that there is a gap. At the end of the day, we are all in the same boat, which means we are all being tasked to try to grow the revenue of the organizations. I mean, you know, back to my point earlier, Nobody in a company wake up and saying, we have a sales and marketing alignment or we have a sales enablement problem. But everyone wakes up thinking, what will it take for us to continue to grow our business? And what is the metric of growth? Revenues, right? Right. Now, some other metrics, but it is, it is so critical. And, and what puzzled me is that it is so simple to do. It is not complicated. It's not difficult. Uh, and if you really, you know, and I do that with my own team where I'm like, okay, every week, let's look at what we are doing. There's going to be new priorities. There's going to be things that fall on our laps. And I, and, and the question I always ask them is to say two things. One is, does it support our ultimately uh, our ultimate goals that we have set in the quarter? And one of them is, is obviously around sales. And the second thing is like, if you were to work on these activities, it is at the expense of what other activities. And then if you do that, then, you know, are you going to accelerate potentially the success of the company and accelerate deal cycles and growth? Or are you going to, you know, ultimately work on something that might delay that success? And if it delays that success, if it's not tied to that success, then just don't do it. Awesome. All right. So we've had a great discussion and we've talked about a lot of different things. But if you were to pick two things that you wanted to do people to do differently tomorrow based on what we talked about, what would it be? 
Oh, that's a that's a tough question. Um, I guess my my first one would be, you know, I would go and tell my marketing peers, product marketing peers, anyone who is in marketing, I, w- I would tell them to go and hug their sales counterparts. Um, <laughs> now, I know in the U.S. and Obviously, you can hear from my accent. I was not born in the U.S. I know that uh, there is this uh, free fit rule where, you know, hugging sometimes can be a bit challenging. So, you know, more seriously, what I would do is I would say any marketing person listening to this podcast, you, you, you hand up listening to this podcast and then you send an email to a few salespeople. You don't have to invite everybody and reach out to them, go and see them and say, hey, I'd love to take you for lunch uh, or I'd love to have lunch with you and uh, use that time to kind of bound and, and also ask them that one question, what's stopping you from selling more? And you will be, I guarantee you'll be mesmerized by the amount of great information you're going to generate uh, from that conversations, as long as you're okay. And to deal with the fact that first and foremost, they're going to complain that they're not getting what they want from marketing. And that's totally fine. The second thing that I'd recommend my marketing peers to spend more time, uh, uh, it's really to, to start spending more time with their prospective buyers. Uh, you know, again, it ties back to what I was saying at the beginning. It starts with, if you want to start with the end in mind, it's the buyers. You need to understand the buyers. Unfortunately, lots of marketing people don't understand enough their buyers. Uh, and I'm always mesmerized when I see that most of the buyer, buyer persona activities sometimes are done, you know, through third party. I think it's important to have third party help, but you have to be completely you know, into it so that you understand the buyers, you, you live and breathe like them. You can really be that, 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 that experts within the organizations to understand your buyers. So I think if you spend more time with the buyers, obviously, you know who you want to sell to. And then because you spend more time with your salespeople, you know, you understand how they might be, you might be able to help them to sell to. And I think the combination of that will make you not only a better marketing person, but most importantly, you are going to contribute to the growth of your organizations in a much more effective way than what you're doing today. Great. Thank you so much for joining me today, Patron. It was a pleasure to have you, and I hope you'll uh, join us again soon. Well, thank you very much, Rebecca, for uh, giving me the opportunity. And uh, hopefully, uh, I was able to share some good insights. And if anyone wants to uh, have any kind of follow-up conversation with me, I'm always happy to talk to people. Great. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bertrand's information will be in the description. You can check that out there and reach out. And be sure to check back next week for our next edition of Pragmatic Live.